Hey, welcome back to the show as we're in the month of Niche Vember. Uh, remember, all this month, November, is Niche Vember on PT Pinecast, diving deep into uh, different niches in the physical therapy profession. So dive in with us. And don't forget, we've got the contest going on right now. Enter at ptpinecast.com for a Niche Vember prize pack valued at 1700 bucks. That's uh, teaming up with our friends from Dot Physio and PC, PT website Secrets with Christine Walker. Here's what you get. 10 winners grabbing a prize pack worth 1700 bucks. You'll get a Dot Physio domain name. With that will come some custom email addresses, a Weebly website, and then you get to spend an hour with Christine Walker from PT Website Secrets and an hour with Cody, the PT copywriter. So you get all of this when you are our winner and you want to jumpstart your niche in the physical therapy profession. So again, sign up now, enter to win at ptpinecast.com. Our friend Becky Bliss continues niche, niche member. We've had Becky on the show numerous times. Great guest. She talks about her niche in concussion care and concussion rehab. And I guess I got to throw a nod to Becky because she's also a DPT educator. So she's found her niche. And I asked her an important question, Becky, you know, in the beginning of your career, could you have seen your niche coming? And she gives a really insightful answer. Can't wait for you to dive into Becky's niche with us as well on the show. MW Therapy is one of our sponsors. They keep us on the air. An EMR is to a PT as a hammer is to a carpenter. You deserve to love using it. MW Therapy does, delivers a modern all-in-one outpatient PT EMR with the built-in patient portal, marketing automation, and billing features you want at the value you deserve. MWTherapy.com, where switching your EMR is easy. Where's your PT license taking you? Where is it? Well, Jackson Therapy Partners, they provide awesome adventures in patient care for physical therapists who care about where they're going. Travel physical therapy. Maybe it's in your future. Check them out at jacksontherapy.com. And your CBD store where you can get the ABCs of CBD at cbdrx4u.com. Let's keep this thing going in Niche Vember with Becky Bliss on PT Pinecast. We don't, we don't need to send questions beforehand because you're smart and you're going to know the answers. All right, let's go. All right, welcome to PT Pinecast. We say great physical therapy conversations on tap. See, it says it right there at the bottom of the screen. I'm your host, Jimmy McKay. Find us on the socials at PT Pinecast. And welcome to Niche Vember. I put a lot of thought, Becky Bliss, into the name of this month. I was like, we got to go deep into niches and let's do it November, Niche Vember. It's kind of like, you know, Lollapalooza. It doesn't really mean anything. It's just a weird name for a thing. And then after a while, maybe we do this for a couple of years and now it's a thing. So Becky Bliss, back on the show. I think this is like, is this your, I didn't look beforehand, but it's like third, maybe fourth time on the show? Third or fourth? I'm trying to, I can't remember. I well, was I like episode 34, like way back in the day in Omaha, Nebraska. So thank you for that. I was thinking about that. I usually like, think when i've got especially when there's someone that has been on the show before or that i know before i think like hey what am i gonna say and i was like gosh we met in omaha in 2015 16 maybe something like that and that was a student conclave back when there used to be a student conclave look at that that conference doesn't even exist anymore which is sad and i remember i was still a student right still a student yeah, yeah still a student Went to, went to student conclave and I was like, I got this podcast and I had this big honking microphone that was a studio microphone. It was not a microphone you're supposed to carry around, but I was just like, I don't know. I have a microphone, a laptop. 
And I just went down the program list and I was like, that looks interesting. That looks interesting. That looks interesting. And then I just went to the conference and dragged the microphone and my laptop up and down the street to bars after arranging um, interviews. Do you remember the giant mess up though? Do you remember the issue that we had? I remember it was loud. Well, that, no, no. No. Um, we, time zones. We were all confused because I had booked in like a Google calendar what time it was. And you were, we were, I was like East Coast, you were somewhere else. And Corey Zimney was the other interview. And then we get to Omaha and all the time zones change. And I'm like, wait. And like, I, I was tired. Could not wrap my head around like, am I early or late? Did I miss this? And then, you know, kismet, we wind up getting there and we do a cool interview in the bar. So thank yes. you for doing that was what I wanted to say because like, Again, 2015, 2016, you had to explain to people what a podcast was. And Correct. when you put a microphone in some in front of someone's face, it's like, hey, what are you going to ask? And I'm like, I'm going to ask you interesting questions. And you're like, what are you going to ask? I'm like, I don't know yet because I'm a student. Well, I was new faculty, right? So I had just gotten right. out of the clinic and new faculty and all that was new. And I was like, oh, my gosh, am I going to say something stupid? Right, 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 right. And that, I remember the, the thing I used to tell people, I was like, everything's recorded. And if anything goes wrong, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll, I'll delete something or whatever. Meanwhile, I was like, I have to figure out what I'm going to ask because like, I don't even know what I want to ask. That's when you're like a student. You're like so excited. You're like, this is exciting. You're like, what do you want to know? You're like, I don't know. All of it, I guess. Just <laughs> tell me everything. And you're like, everything. That's not a very good question. So anyway, so thank you for doing that. So wait, so, so let's do the timeline, though. So we've known each other since 2015. Where have you just tell people like where you've been? Because you've you keep having these cool like, you know, you, you're, you're I'm watching your career or this part of your career, like sort of like blow up what have you done um so in 2015 bill had just retired from the army after 25 years because our last duty station was fort leavenworth kansas i got into teaching at the university of saint mary and i was there for two years um got my ncs started my terminal degree um because of the captain role right and right. then um i got recruited out to charlotte north carolina um so then we were out there. We had still owned a house at Fort Bragg because that was where our like home station was in the military. And Bill's like, great, we're closer. Let's clean it up and get it sold and get this rental out because we had had it for five years. And um, then I was out there for several years, kind of got more involved in compression, started doing CUs nationally, um, got partnered with, because she was my mentor there, Diane Risley who was the creator of the functional gait assessment, the FGA. So got a little bit more mentoring and research, which was really the goal. And then just things started kind of taking off from there. I was there for less than two years and I got a call from the University of Missouri where I am now at Mizzou saying, I know you just left, but <laughs> back to the Midwest. And at that point in time, the kids were like, ah, Charlotte's okay, we're not loving it. Um, right. It's different than the East Coast side of North Carolina and knowing the department, knowing Everyone here, knowing I love their students when I was a clinical instructor and just the opportunity, we have a biomedical um, engineer who is 50% within our department here um, and just opportunity. So I was like, you know what? Sure, I'll come interview. And it's been bad ever since. So I've actually been here for three and a half years. Like we mm -hmm. love it. Bill's got a tailgating trailer that he decked out. Yep. So we've got a, you know, season passes in the reactor lot where the RVs are. I mean, it's crazy. So we do, <laughs> we do football. I'm close to the Chiefs. I get to do research. I teach. We started a neuro residency. Yeah. You know, all that good stuff. And it's just going well. Before we get into your, because I feel like we just took a snapshot right there. 
Wait, can you turn down your volume just a little bit? Because I can hear myself and I hate hearing myself. There we go. Um, before we get into this, like, di could you have, um, did you even vaguely imagine what your career is now when you started? Like, was this even a glimmer no. in your eye? No. Um, and I remember back to being like, I, I, as a new grad, coming out and just being like, oh my gosh, I don't know anything, right? Like you graduate and I went to Ithaca College um, and felt very prepared. Well, you know, great school. But for my first five years, I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I, I don't know anything. Like, this is crazy. And to go from that and have my, and this is kind of gets into the niche, but like at my five-year mark um, out of school, I landed in an outpatient neuro clinic where that was in the time of all of the blast injury soldiers coming back at Fort mm. Bragg. We were at Fort Bragg in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And I went from zero blast injury concussion patients to the next week of 13 on my schedule because Fort Bragg at that time didn't have a TBI center. They didn't have the center of excellence. They didn't have any of that. They did ortho really well. They just didn't know anything about the brain because it was the signature injury of war. And so it was, you know, death by assimilation. I bought the Sue Herdman, like third edition chapter of vestibular rehab at that point in time. And like, just had to self-teach and immerse and all that good stuff. So if I look back to that, that was in 2006 to where I am now. No, I never could have. Um, I've been completely fortunate and blessed by where I have been put for relationships throughout my career. And I truly feel that way in so many different avenues. I mean, Hemingway said it best. I love stealing quotes from people and I love this one. Um, he used it for going bankrupt. It's like, how do you go bankrupt? Two ways, gradually, then suddenly. But I like to say like, how'd you get to where you are? Gradually, then suddenly. That's it, right? Like none of these overnight successes or where you get to, it doesn't happen in one pop. I know you, I know the movie. I've, I've seen the movies. Um, you have to, cause movies need to be done in like 90 minutes to two hours, but the overnight success usually takes many, many, many overnights. And it's, it's, it, you really should enjoy that ride because that is the fun part, right? I mean, you're still on it. This isn't, this isn't the end. Even if you stay at Mizzou, it, there's still going to be like changes and, and growth. So it is fun. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, and like all the stuff I have going on now, I'm like, I, some days I wake up and think, and I'm like, how did this happen? And it was yeah. really about relationships. So that's the key of not being afraid to reach out to somebody that you think is a role model or could be a mentor or is unreachable and just having a conversation. Like, and that's really kind of how all this happened. So I just gave a talk to uh, Nazareth PT a couple of weeks ago. And it was me and like two other PTs and the professor Michael Houston was like, Hey, can you come and tell your story? And you I get this. And I went to college together. We graduated I know that. Together. Well, look at that little, little full circle. I, I didn't know. know Mike that. and I were classmates in PT school. Well, I said, you're, I said to the students, like three answers in, cause it's myself and two others, like I mentioned. And I was like, you're going to hate my answers. And like, why? I'm like, cause the answers, if you boil down all my answers, the answer is going to be people. Like, how can you get that internship you wanted to? I'm like, reach out to people. Like, I know you want to work for the Chiefs or the Rangers. I'm like, it's people. Like, you don't go to the Rangers. The Rangers are not a thing. The Rangers are a bunch of people. People is how you get to people. It's so you start and end with people. And if I think if you go in uh, trying to understand that, or yeah, even if you don't 100% understand what Jimmy's talking about right now, aim for one person. And I know that you want to aim at 100 people. I get it. But that's insincere because your goal is to build relationships. It should be anyway. It should be the fun part. And that's that's really what you get the most out of. And at the same time, like, don't look at it as what do I get? Like, 
what can I give? How can I serve? Eric Mara, like episode three was like volunteer at something. And that's a give. Like that is help. Even if you're a student who knows nothing, show up to the conference, sh say you're going to show up. And then he's like, show up. We get a lot of students like, I'd oh, love yes. to help. And then they don't show up and he goes, dude, here's the problem. I'm going to remember your name and not, I'm not going to take anything vindictive, but like, I'm not going to be able to count on you. So it is about people. Yeah. All right. We haven't even started the episode yet. Uh, we, the first question we ask is uh, the hardest. What are we drinking? We're recording at 9 a.m. Eastern time. It must be, what is it? 8 a.m. Your time? 8 a.m. Central. Mm -hmm. So you're being a good employee. We're both drinking. This is, it is a pint. We're not violating the show, but it is a pint. What are you drinking? What do you, what are you oh, putting in? I've just got some like Aldi brand French vanilla cake like cup. I yeah. Like so. I do uh, Nespresso things because. Oh, yeah. The pot. I have enough energy. Why not give Jimmy some espresso? But I drink, you know, this much espresso and a whole glass of milk. So it's an uh, it's a latte. So cheers to you, Becky Bless, for coming on the show again. Mm-hmm. Need a little bit of that. First round brought to you by our friends from Owens Recovery Science, a single source for PTs looking for certification and personalized blood flow restriction rehabilitation training. Find Johnny and the team at OwensRecoveryScience.com. We're actually gonna do another live show, the first one we've done. We did one together at Winget, right? Yeah. We haven't done those in three years or two years. We're doing that again at Sacred Heart University in just a couple of weeks. So, all right. So how would you describe your niche now that we're actually getting to the nitty gritty of niche member uh, 10 minutes in? How do you describe all the things that you do in, in your narrow but fun uh, corner of the, of the profession? Right. So how would I describe it? So it is concussion management. And it's a lot of it's funny because people think, well, you're a board certified neuro specialist, right? So it's got to be just the vestibular ocular side of things. And I'm like, mm -hmm. no, because concussion is heterogeneous, right? Like no two concussions are exactly the same. And so with that, um, it actually is more targeted than that. It's more of a concussion clinical trajectory model of what I do. So I don't just look at vestibular ocular. That's not the patients that I get. I actually look at cervical, ocular, vestibular, post-traumatic headache, cognitive fatigue and anxiety mood. There's six trajectories. Um, and so we treat our patients here very comprehensively because all of those things interact together. So if your neck is affected, I just got back from the International Conference of Vestibular Rehab and got to hear Julia Trevelin in person. And then we had coffee, talk about relationships and mentoring, right? Yeah. Um, and talking about the role of that cervical spine and its connection to autonomics, to vestibular, to ocular, to all sorts of that. And, you cannot treat in isolation. And that's the thing that when I came here to the university that, you know, I took on a PRN job in our outpatient neuro clinic and everyone there, we were getting a lot of post-concussive patients, but we, that were referred for dizziness and they weren't getting better. And people were very cranky, but they're like, oh sweet, you're here. Can you take all the concussion patients? Cause we don't want them. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, how could you not want these patients? They're, they're so complex and it keeps you on your toes. They're like, they're not getting better. And I'm like, well, let's take a look. So that's when we applied for the knowledge translation um, grant for the pre-con for the KT Summit with like George Hornby and Jenny Moore's group. Um, and so we did that and we got in. And so we wrote this grant and then it was, we got mentorship for two days on how to do a, the knowledge translation action cycle to improve care here at the university for concussion. So and what so, does that mean? So I, I think I understand what knowledge translation is, but maybe I don't if I have to ask. Like, walk, like just hit, hit me with that so I don't get lost. So, um, and this is the interesting thing. So CPGs, so I know right. you're part of kind of the ortho APTA, like social right. media. 
So Neuro has upped our game and we have published five CPGs in the last three years, right? Clinical practice guidelines. Um, and how do you take that evidence and translate it into the Got clinic? It. Because it takes 17 years without some help. Right. And so the knowledge translation action cycle is an implementation guide on how to do that. It's out of Canada and it's through six steps that are continuous. So you have to continually, so you have to identify your gap. What is the gap that you're trying to fill? Our gap was we weren't using evidence to treat our patients post-concussion and our therapists were not competent. And so we actually, you know, go ahead. That's what I wanted to say. Like the, I was going to say, why do you think those, because I was like emotions, right? Why do you think those, those people didn't want to treat those people? It had nothing to do with them not liking those people. Or it really is an emotion for being like un, insecure, right? Yeah. And it's, okay, the, so I'm outside of my comfort zone and they're coming with all of these different things. And all I know is what? Vestibular ocular. So that's number one, identify your gap. And identify your gap. And then how are you going to measure that? So we got into retrospective chart reviews for the last three years and we put students on it and we said, what are the practice patterns? How many, like, what are they using for screening in their patient reported outcome measures? What are they doing in their evaluation? If their evaluation finds an impairment, did the intervention that they're giving link to that impairment? So if it was vestibular, did they get vestibular rehab? Does that make sense? A mm -hmm. lot of the things that we saw is they were dizzy, they had vestibular, but people were getting manual therapy for 45 minutes. Mismatch. Mismatch, right? So we looked at that. We looked at, are they repeating outcome measures at discharge? Like, or are they just going on, hey, I feel better. So see you later. So we found all of that. And then we developed from the general self-efficacy scale, a confidence scale to give all of our rehab providers. And mm -hmm. what we found... Right. How do we use that? The areas of less confidence. And those were the areas that we targeted with our knowledge translation based on the concussion CPG and then current evidence. So we use science and we didn't just say, oh, let's start this program tomorrow. Try to do it because what happens? It crashes. Gosh, and burns. Yeah. You've got to be data informed. And so we did that. And then we also at the same time did focus group interviews for barriers and facilitators of implementing this program. So one of it was scheduling. If we say we want to get these patients in early and there's a four to six week wait to get in, that's a barrier. So we actually created freeze hold spots weekly for our referrals. Yeah. We marketed to the ER and urgent cares to get them in because our time to get into therapy was months. Well, now you've got a post-concussive symptomology, right? Like patient who is a disaster from maladaptive behaviors, right? Like, and you have to unwind it. Well, yeah, that's going to be kind of a train wreck of like trying to figure that out. Um, equipment, right? Just having silly things like the Marsden ball, right? For hand-eye coordination, visual, smooth pursuits, to cause convergence, like sport, you know, all of that type of stuff. So we did focus group inter interviews for barriers and facilitators to address before we integrated our knowledge translation intervention, which was a two-day CEU course, online modules for each trajectory, and then monthly meetings, right, to see how things were going and check-ins so that we can constantly address the barriers and the facilitators the entire time. And so that was everything that we did. We ran that for a year and then redeployed the survey for self-efficacy. And of course, saw what? 
improvement. Significant improvements in confidence, right? right? The other thing that happened is we, we, we had the people that attended the training, but we also surveyed everybody just to see, would this bleed confidence into the people that were just around that didn't take right. action? Um, and that was the case, but the people that took the knowledge translation intervention or took the courses and participated actually had more confidence than those who didn't. So we had two things, pre and post of the people that did it, and then comparison to the group as a whole um, that we saw significance. And then we also got in and looked at frequencies of all of those things. Were they using a patient reported outcome measure? Were they looking at all six clinical profiles and not just what the complaint was for the patient? And we actually saw significant improvement with our retrospect, like, you know, our chart right. reviews for current that practice patterns improved too. So now we are in the sustainability phase. We are now down to quarterly meetings instead of monthly because we don't need to be as frequent. Sure. But, and we have spot check chart reviews. So I've got students on, let's make sure we're not sliding backwards, right? And then we also have starting, we did a telementoring program where everybody on the team, multidisciplinary team, we get together once a month and present a complicated case. And so it went from university here at Mizzou, and now it's we've got people from all over the country, and it is turning into an ECHO program the start of next year. So it oh. will be open nationally for people to bring complex cases to learn from each other with shared, yeah. like, multidisciplinary approach. Like biggest journal club ever, not even journal club, like big, biggest, like, you know, conversation and, and, and development group, personal development group. And then because we have people like Mark Halstead from St. Louis, we've got Michael Rippey from KU, we've got our rehab team, we've got everybody together. We've got leaders in the field that are gonna be on this. And then the person can bring a case and then we have discussion that we can all learn from each other. Mm -hmm. Hey, have you you know heard about this or have you checked this? And so you basically get national mentorship from leaders once this rolls out in January. So it's pretty neat. If you still have low confidence, it'd be difficult to have low confidence now because you're getting information. So, so again, I love the parallels between communication and physical therapy. That's why I do yeah. what I do. And you mentioned me working with orthopedics and I came in and I did not invent this, but the three T's and you checked off all three T's, maybe with knowing it or maybe without knowing it. Nope, not and knowing it's, it. it's tools, training, and time. And if people don't have all three, Two out of three is bad. Two out of three will means you fail. It's you just can't do it. So do they have the tools? Okay, we have access to the tools. Do you know how to use the tools? Have you been properly trained? No. Well, then you're not. I'm not handing you a jackhammer. That's that would be that'd be horrible. That'd be worse than whatever we started with. And then you mentioned a couple different things from the patient side with time, right? You were saying if we don't have these freeze hold spots, then what, what, what what's the point? We, we, we're getting them too late. But also that free, that makes sure that the people that are helping treat get them in the proper time. So it's tools, right. training, and time. And I I work with organizations, large and small, on communicating. And I say who's responsible for this. And people usually they usually start to do the Jay Leno. Well, yeah, I don't know somebody. Okay, if you can't point to that person right now, then no one's in charge, right? And that's sort of ownership. But that means that person doesn't know. And then does that person have the tools, training, and time? And when you put those three things together shockingly people do really well they when they are properly trained with the properly to, proper tools and have the time to do it wow you, you get great outcomes so it sounds like you check those box th those boxes how long was that maybe you said but i just like from start like we're going to do this to 
um, when you really started three years. Yeah. You can't do it fast. And people have to understand that. And that's what the conversation, I just got back from the Academy of Neurophysical Therapy annual conference. And we had these mass discussions of knowledge translation and people think it's a quick fix and you're just going to change somebody's mind by just like wagging evidence in front of them. And that's not the case. So what came up and I don't know if you've read, did, have you listened or read to think again by Adam Grant? I love Adam Grant. Yeah. I read it twice. Okay. So interesting enough with all of these CPGs, right. Coming down from the Academy, like we've been, you know, knowledge translating. I'm on the knowledge translation task force for the AMPT. So I'm doing what we did here at Mizzou nationally now through the concussion CPG. I'm on the revision committee for the next concussion, the APTA concussion CPG. And we are all working together on how to get like, what is, what do people need and want to implement this into the clinical practice? But if you don't de-implement first, right? Correct. Correct. And I just learned this um, from the conference, this de-implementation, because you've got implementation science where you're trying to translate evidence into the clinic but if you don't spend time on de-implementation and I, you know, this is again, relationships sitting in the back of a um, conference hall and George Hornby's behind me, right? The lead author on the high intensity gate training CPG and him and I just started talking and it was this beautiful conversation about de-implementation. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is what we miss. Like, I know that we had success here, but this is our miss point with trying to do this all at once and just, you know, you need to do this. This is what you need to do now, but wait a minute, how do we take a step back and have people kind of rethink what they're doing currently to be ready for change? It's behavioral readiness for change scale, right? So they've actually got for CSM, I'm gonna do a plug for his session. They have got Adam Grant's postdoc coming. Really? With George to do a session on de-implementation based on the book. Really? Okay. Yeah. That is cool. So, we have, we yeah. have a we have a book club and we read that for the book club, but I'd already read it once before. That's why I suggested it. Um, and how great was his book? Because what was the book before that? Crap. Ignite? No. Whatever. He had a book before that where he said a bunch of stuff. And all the stuff is great. And then he he wrote Think Again. And he's like, hey, remember that last book I wrote? Yeah, uh, changed my mind on a bunch of that stuff. I know. But how cool is that? He's and you can't. I mean, the book's called Think Again. He's like, it would be disingenuous for me not to have not to rethink what I thought and said previously. And he's like, that's actually growth. And it, it, I read the book, you know, during the last election period, whichever side of the election you you know come down on. He's like, but you can't bury your identity and your thoughts because then they never change. It's not about being right or wrong. It's about, uh, do you want to be right or get it right? My dad asked me that once. And I was like, they're the same thing. He's like, they're not the same thing. Do you want to be be right or do you want to get it right? And I was like, oh, they are different because that one required, one allows me to be able to change and not be wrong. Because right. stuff I thought 20 years ago, right? Someone, when I, before I graduated from PT school, someone said, if you practice the same way for 20 years, in year 20, you'll be committing malpractice because we'll known better. It doesn't mean you were bad PT or bad anything at year five. It means we learn, so we know better, you should do better. That's interesting about CSM. That's a great get. I know. And I didn't know anything except for random conversation in the back of a room. And now I, you know what I mean? Now I'm so much more schooled on this. And I think back to my CEUs that I taught nationally, and I still do because I have my own CEU company now, but um, that's one of the biggest things that when I go out to do my, I have one coming up with Sporting Kansas City at their new national training center here in December. 
And I am going, like, that is one thing that I'm going to start first. So, you know, it's concussion in 2022. How do we implement the research, right? But we need to talk about the de-implementation. What are you currently doing and why are you doing, like, you know, what makes those types of things? Because you think about like, oh no, if they have their first symptom, if I'm treating them in the clinic and I increase their symptoms, what do we as therapists tend to do? We'll sit down and rest. Sit down. Yeah, no, like, so I'm a little bit more aggressive and I feel like it gives me better outcomes because because of we're pushing through those symptomologies from a mild TBI standpoint and we're not getting them into that fear avoidance cycle, right? Where they're now, if we sit them down every time they have a symptom, what does the patient think? Those symptoms are bad. And we should and stop. I have to, and I have to avoid. Right. I spend, when I get my chronic patients, I spend probably the first 30 minutes on reassurance therapy. It's going to be okay. Here's the current literature. And there's just misinformation that hasn't trickled down on the new right recommendations. And they're meeting in the next couple of weeks in Amsterdam. And it's going to, you know, we went from four in the Zurich for the consensus and sport group to 11 in 2017. And now they're meeting again. It was delayed because of COVID. I have no, like, it's going to be crazy because the plethora of concussion research that has been published and we're, we have to think again. No, but you know what I mean? We have to think again about, okay, what are we doing and what's best practice? And we're going to have to change again. And so now we're going to have this new, right, implementation of different things. And now we haven't even touched on the dual task aspect of things. So we have an outdated return to play protocol that just looks at, can they, you know, ride a bike? Can they do sports specific drills? Can they go to contact practice without symptoms? Okay, they're good to go. Yet, okay, have we looked at what's causing the subsequent lower extremity musculoskeletal injury risk post-concussive when we return people across all levels of play. And that's where like, I get to play with my biomechanical engineer and we've got the research here that we're looking at what are these constructs. And it looks like it hasn't been fully proven yet that it's a combination of reaction time, impulse control and dual tasking ability of can they make that quick decision and can all sensory systems talk to each other appropriately at the right timing in order to make that quick decision on the field, or if it's a little slow or a little off, they're getting re-injury. And it's not re-injury of concussion, it's a lower extremity injury that could be season ending, you know? So we've got so much place yeah. to go, um, but it's really neat to see. But if you're not up to date, you might be using the single construct. Can I stand with my eyes closed? I'm sorry, but that's not what an athlete does on the field, right? Right. So we've got to get them in sports specific types of dual tasking, quick decision-making, go, no, go. Like, you know, do we drop vertical jump and, and give them a single, a signal that says, go to the right. Do they go to the right at the right speed? Or do we do a go, no, go opposite, right? Where they drop vertical jump and in the mid air, they, yes, it says, right, but I need you to go left. And what is that delay in time? And that's the fun stuff that I get to do wow. in my research, in our research lab here um, at the yeah. university. Well, then timing, um, what was going through your head with the Miami Dolphins just a couple of weeks ago? I, I mean, I, I don't mean this could, I mean, am I opening can This could be four, in the next four hours. I'm sure you, I'm, me asking if Becky Bliss has thoughts on this is not a good <laughs> question. Like, my question would be, what are your 47 thoughts on this? But when you were watching oh, that situation and the I interesting part of it, it, I was out to dinner with my family and my phone starts blowing up. Well, and which I'm situation? Like, the first concussion? The first well, one. First injury on the field where he passed up. You know, and then the second and one. Then. So I think there, so it, protocols weren't 100% 
followed, right, of different things. So let's say, like, hypothetically, Thursday, because it was a Thursday night game with the first run. Right. Correct? Or was it the Sunday game and the Thursday? I don't know. I can't Whatever remember. it was, it was, five day, it was four or five days it between. Was less than the what? Standard return to play protocol. Right. And so he obviously had signs and symptoms, right? Think about how he came off and his postural mm-hmm. instability. One of the classic signs, no matter what, that should have been done, right? And if he had been removed then, and that was his first day out, and then we he gets through the five-day return to play, Right and gets through that, he wouldn't have been playing that next game yet. He would have had one more day, right? And then if he did, so that's my only thought. I don't want to, you know what I mean? There's so many, the NFL staff is great. Like the athletic trainers embedded, right? But this was done by a independent Independent person who did. Because I know those NFL athletic training, PTs, you know, physicians, all of the rest of it, they are phenomenal and they will handle things exactly right. If we look at the situation, this was done by somebody independent, right? Who makes the call just to keep kind of things out and he doesn't have a job anymore. So. Independent. Yeah. So but there, was but like no. a, there was like a firestorm and I loved watching other physical therapists. I mean, cause of course I spent a lot of time on Twitter for better or for worse in my existence. But there were a lot of sports writers who were, pardon my French, talking out of their ass. They were like, but they said they followed the rules. And everybody was saying, but look at the rules. I mean, there was a lot of armchair quarterbacking on words that were out of people's reach, myself included. That's why I look for smart people. I'm like, I think I know this. I know three quarters of this. But before I open my mouth, and it is possible to say people, I don't think I know enough to have an informed opinion on this. That yeah. is a thing you can say. You don't have to have yeah. a pen. This is coming yeah. from a guy who has a lot of opinions and says a lot of stuff. But you can say, I don't I don't think I have enough information to have an educated opinion on this. But I, see, I saw, a spe- I can't remember the guy's name, and I probably shouldn't even say it, but it was a sports writer who was essentially doing a lot of mansplaining on concussion, and he was talking out of his, he was talking out of his ass. Yeah. And he was wrong. So, yeah, yeah I was interested in that. Because I think we did an episode a while ago on the Will Smith movie. Yeah, that was that was my second episode. Was that one? I think. What yeah. was that one called? That was the one where he played the doctor from Pittsburgh. Yeah, so it was called Concussion. That's what it was. Concussion. And it was Amale from Pittsburgh as the neuropathologist. Um, right. You know, and it just spun up. So, like, we've got so much, and we've got these, and I, you know, I feel terrible for the player, right, for Tua, just because of everything around it, and like, part of me is like, I, I just. As far well, as the return to play stuff goes, let's make sure, and I know they are, like dual tasking, perception, action, coupling, like impulse control, like all of that. Like, let's make sure all those are good to go. And as long as those are, then I think we're good at making those return to play decisions. Does this go full circle into what you were just talking about in, in um, what was the term you, you use? Un, 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 unimplementing or, or de-implementing? de-implementing? So we're still in the society where, well, if he's tough, he'll play. And he passed the test. Like, did he pass? Like... I know you wanted him on the field. I'm not a Dolphins fan. I wanted him on the field, but not if it's not right. You know what I mean? Because now you might have just done something to this man's existence. You know, three weeks, three months, three years, three decades from now, he might be feeling the effects of this. And that's not right, but I get it. But we need to, you know, de-implement the um, thought process of what got us here. And that doesn't happen overnight. I mean, I don't even know if I should be saying this, but I'm on the board of trustees for the Foundation for PT Research. And I sit in a room full of people who know infinitely more about 
funding research, conducting research. Um, I don't know about sharing research. They know how to get published. I'll tell you that much. The people that we deal with, I mean, these people are smart in research and I'm sitting in the room going, why the hell is Jimmy McKay here? And then I realize I'm saying, do we need more research? And this yes is the answer. Do we need a lot more research or do we need a lot more implementation? Like, do we need people, do we need to make more research or do we need people to digest the research? like more food from the kitchen? It's like, that's cool. But like, we haven't digested any of this yet, or we haven't digested some, or enough of us haven't digested this. So you're starting to say like, you know. Well, and that's the problem. You're spot on. So we have the research, right? Like we have the published research and then it gets like a little bit implemented. The people who are reading, the people are, who are using Leading it. Edge. The right and side. Then of what? A new thing comes out and we have like, oh my gosh. And so Let's nobody knows what to do. So if you're on the ground right. level and you are, a, you know, you are amazing and you're one of our clinical instructors and you're out there, right? Like 40 hours a week plus, cause we know documentation and everything else. There's no time to read the research, but it's changed six times. So where do you even start? Where do you go? Right. And so now you're like, I'm just doing the best I can. So how do we, you're exactly right. How do we improve the implementation of the research and the implementation science field to yeah. translate it in a more timely fashion? Well, do you know my new mantra? And I got this mantra like I so I I stole someone's mantra and I put it on my email signature and I just love his. So this guy's name is Sir Mark Walport and he was like the UK's science minister and I think that's like the equivalent of like their Surgeon General. And Sir Mark Walport makes a science communication statement and that's what I do now for my day job. I don't even know if I told you this. I work for Mount Sinai Hospital now. I think I had read that. And I work in a research lab, which again should confuse everybody if you know anything about Jimmy McKay and research. But the cool part is Jimmy gets to do Jimmy things in the research lab. The researchers do the research. I do not, which is good for everybody. Mm -hmm. I get to help communicate it. So back to Sir Mark Walport. First of all, he's Sir Mark Walport, which means he got knighted. So I was like, right. this guy's great. And I put it on my email signature and it says, science isn't finished until it's communicated. And I was like, oh man, I don't have any tattoos, but if I got a tattoo, that would be it because I would never change. That is a great statement. I will. That's on my flag. And I used it for like six to eight months. And then I was watching that movie, A Beautiful Mind. It was like on TNT or whatever. And he, he uh, the main character was like, oh, your, your theory is incomplete. And then he explains how somebody's theory was incomplete or whatever. He's doing his Beautiful Mind thing. And I was like, I think Sir Mar Mark Walport got it to the five-yard line, but he did his incomplete. I think one word is wrong. And here's where my PT brain or my communications brain came back in for my PT brain, which was, he said, science isn't finished until it's communicated. And I think that's incomplete. My, my mantra now, which I'm going to put on t-shirts and sell, that's how I'm going to retire. Science isn't finished until it's understood. I don't need you to agree or disagree. That's like, like, like an Adam Grant thing, uh, preaching, politicking, and another P that he's had in this first book. Yeah, um, scientist, preacher. Um, yeah, politician, politician and there's prosecutor, one more prosecutor, prosecutor. prosecutor there we prosecutor, go, preach politic. None of those P's your goal is to get someone to just think again, just think. So I said, science, my thing is science isn't finished until it's communicated. Oh, sorry, understood. And here's, and when I say this, people are like, I don't know. Communication feels like it's final. Mm -mm. You have two, uh, children, correct? Three, three, three children. Oh yeah. Sorry. Will <laughs> you taught them to tie their shoes. Once? No. Just, no, not once. So you showed your daughter, like, here's how you tie shoes. And then you were done? No, you well, you communicated it, right, Becky? And then you were done. Of course not. And we laugh 
at that example, of course, that's not a Jimmy. The same as it stands for adults, right? I mean, I I gave this, uh, I came up with this on the fly and I was like, I'm, this is going to go well or not well. I said, I don't know why it takes nine months for a school year. I could teach the entire third grade, grade cur curriculum in like two weeks. If my job was to say everything once, right. but a third grade teacher's job is not to communicate information. It's to achieve understanding. And that takes time and effort and repetition. So can we have this conversation for our PT students? I mean, think about it. And if we're, this is a whole nother podcast um, on, you know, the call to action for the master adaptive learner, right? Framework that is in medical education now within the PT education. But we have to be intentional about that threading of they get it, and, you know what I mean, once, and then they continue to hear and apply and deeper understanding, right? So that by the time they're done, they haven't just heard or practiced something one time, but they've done what? Fully taken it from the first point to deep understanding so that when they are out there in the clinic, they can think on their feet, be innovative, be adaptable, and know what that looks like, right? And so because we have less insurance, less time, right? And more complexity of our patients that we get in our clinic. And so if we are not teaching them on how to be innovative and efficient with that flair of adaptability, we're not preparing them for today's world. We're just going to keep going around in circle. We'll, we'll have this com same conversation 15 years from now, 17 years from now. Right. We'll say, hey, that thing we talked about, just being, just being implemented now. Yeah. But it's the, I mean, so we could even think about using the knowledge translation right, framework on how do we change and de-implement some of the older educational principles that are still happening, right? In DPT education to change to this new model. I mean, right? I, I am super, you know, Johnny, this is gonna be great, right? Like I'm the poster child for like over optimism and energy, right? Even without the espresso. Um, I have been hired by organizations to help them improve communication. I have done an evaluation. You'll see the parallels between PT and communication. Right. I've done an evaluation. I've presented my findings and a pr pr uh, presented a plan. Multiple organizations made up of people have said, have paid me to come into their organization to do a thing. And then when I'm done, they don't do the thing. It's, it's, but it's not, this is not shot. This, this did shock me. This no longer shocks me because this is how it is. I, mean, I worked for a company. I won't say who it was. We had, do you know what an ethnography is? I didn't know when we, we got yeah. one. It's, it's a like, form of, yeah, go it's ahead. A, it's a DNA swab of your company's culture. Right. It's qualitative research. Yes. We did one of these. It took like a year and I was super like, this is cool. Not, I think, or I feel like. This is going to be qualitative research, and then we're going to tell you what to do with it. And they presented their findings, and they were cool. They did it in a fun way, too. Yeah. And I was like, I am so excited to work here because you did the thing, and you're really looking inside yourself, and you did your DNA swab, and you want to know. And now that you know, you can improve. And we implemented, like, from what I could see, like 0% of it. But we wrote that check, baby. That's a good business model, right? Just do the stuff, and then people – it's it's what my favorite peloton instructor says i make suggestions you make decisions mm -hmm. i am yeah. a scientist i am not yeah. the preacher the prosecutor or the how come i can't remember the politician. third one? politician god i gotta write these down. <laughs> this is an analogy like all the time and i get two out of three every time and it's never the same two out of three yeah. either i took i took the quiz at the ampt conferences they like put up the qr card if you want to see where you're at and i was like 
okay, 40% scientists in 2020 and the rest of them. And I was like, oh, I've got some work to do. But then listening to his book, like if you are the scientist and you need to, like you can be passionate about some new information to get it translated. So it was interesting, right? So I'm like, well, maybe it's not so bad, but I do need to work on a few. Well, I think you saying you need to work on it is bigger than a lot of people who just think, I know. And we, what have we learned in the last couple of years? And I think terms that I never knew existed, which was like uncon, unconscious bias. Yeah. I was like, I didn't know what the hell that was. I'm not biased. I went from I'm not biased to, oh, shit. Like, it's unconscious. It's there. Yeah. Whether you, even if you know about it, it's still going to be. Harvard assessment. Anyway, it's just, it's funny. And we, we derailed from like the niche, but it's so important because the niche information is coming out so fast, right? With yeah. all the research, how do you, how do you keep up? How do you know, right? That what you're doing is best practice because it's coming so fast and furious. Look at this podcast. I remember one of my classmates when I launched this was like, how much stuff could you actually talk about in PT? And I was like, oh, God, you can't see how much stuff that I could talk for five days a week for my entire career. I'd still have stuff on the shelf that we didn't cover. Um, but the reason it's successful is not, you know, the sound effects or the, you know, whatever. Um, it's the fact that there's so much people are trying. They're swimming in place. Right. Most of our profession is in the clinic and they're swimming in place and they know that there's stuff out there that they should know. They feel unconfident about some things, wish they knew more, but they don't have the time. And that's why the, the XYZ statement, the tagline for this podcast is we have, we share great physical therapy conversations. So busy PTs can feel connected to their profession. That's what we hear students say is like, this is great. I sit in class and there's people around me. I'm unconfident, but I feel in a group. And then the minute they step off that cliff and graduate, they're like, oh, now I feel unconfident and unconnected. And sometimes just hearing someone else say the same thing that you are scared about, talk about the same monster, at least is the first step to trying to figure out how to slay the monster. And identify your gap and know how to rectify it. And that's, that's part that's of, yeah, that's exactly, that is the master adaptive learner framework is teaching students on how to, right? Like be self-aware and self-reflective to identify their gaps that make them uncomfortable, but then give them the tools to fill them quickly. That I gotta look up this framework. Where do I find oh this? Oh my framework? gosh! Like, yeah. So, um, I can send you. And actually, yeah. the AMA has a whole bunch of different resources. And I just, um, we just found one. It's the Coach's Guide to Being Like a Good Coach, right? So, the Student's Guide to Being a Good. I'm sorry, Coachy. So, coach basically, right? Like, we are implementing here at Mizzou coaching meetings in their first year of how do we make that adjustment to grad school quicker. So that they don't, right, just shy away and like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I don't know, but I just need to survive versus like, how do I be vulnerable? Do you mm -hmm. read any of Steve Magnus or Brad, who's at yeah, Stolberg? Yeah, like practice of groundedness and things like that. But how do I be vulnerable and establish deep communities so that I can fill these gaps and feel okay in my times of uncertainty and struggle so that I'm moving forward and being a lifelong learner? So mm -hmm. anyway. It's same with implementation science. You have to do that same thing. And that's my goal in the concussion world is to translate evidence so that our patients have better outcomes. Well, good on you for having that because now you're, you're taking that idea to the, to the Neuro Academy task force, right? You got task force. We actually, that. yeah, we just um, did a national survey. So what we did here at the University of Missouri, we just did a national survey on the self-efficacy across the field, right? Across the nation of patients or therapists who are treating patients with concussion. 
And then we also, so we know where the confidence is. We know where the areas that they're not confident and we are designing intentional educational things for those clinicians. They want more patient resources. They want, you know, little snippets of information. They don't want another like Zoom recorded webinar. <laughs> hold on a second, hold on a second. I would push back. Oh. I would say they don't, you're right. They don't want the webinar, right? But if you give them enough pigs in a blanket, you give them enough hors d'oeuvre sized bites of information Correct. to the point where they're like, you know what? I want to read a book about this. Like why does Adam Grant, who you should follow on Twitter just because he has great information all the time, he puts out a lot of like, uh, oh God, there's a term for this that we learned, um, knowledge dense. It's almost like hot, like like calorically dense food, like high okay. dense, like a protein bar. And there's in in um in web design or in social science, I learned from a guy who who specializes in redesigning scientific posters, and he's yeah. like, it needs to be knowledge dense but digestible, and that's what Adam Grant does. He but he understands the way to sell a book is actually to take the book, smash it into a million pieces, and then just start handing out the bits, and then and then I mean Gary Vaynerchuk has said this. Listen, don't buy my book. Just follow me on Instagram. I'm going to give away all the information. Right. But if you want it all together in the right order, I'm going to put the jigsaw puzzle together for you. You can buy the book. The thing is, when you've ingested so many of the bits, so many of the appetizers and the bites, by the time you spend the $15 on the book, you're happy to do it because you're like, I feel like I owe this guy because he's given me so much. And that's when people will go for the webinar. And that's why what I do at Mount Sinai, we just did this thing. It was about brain donation. They're like, Jimmy, we need to get more people donating their brains. And I was like, whoa, man, that is a commitment. That's like, that's bigger than marriage. Like, can we have your brain when you're dead? Because we need it. And I was like, <laughs> I'm like, you can't ask someone. I mean, you can, but I think we have a better chance of getting people interested if we, if we walk them slowly to that ask. It's not flim-flamming them. It's like, hey, why do we ways? And I was like, it's nine questions, right? I think we came up with nine questions with the Brain Injury Research Center. What? Why is brain injury important? Oh, it's and then I had someone explain it in thirty seconds. Great. What does it cost? That's a thing people worry about. Oh, oh it's yeah. Free. Yes. You know, people are like, how do I talk to my family about it? And the girl explained it in ninety seconds. And we did the nine questions. I'm like, what are your nine frequently asked questions? And then we answered all those. And then at the end, we go, hey, by the way, if if you want to, you know, potentially do this, here's the website to click. But if we had just said, donate your brain, here's the website to click, I bet we would have had a lower batting average on that. 100%, yes. And I absolutely agree with you. And that's what our next campaign as the task force is little snippets of, did you know that this, you know. and we're taking the CPG, right? So the current concussion CPG, and we are giving little snippets on Shatter social media, right? Scatter it. it to get them to the big resources. Absolutely. And so we do, are doing that. That's what do I'm doing. Do you remember the NBC campaign? It was a star flying across the screen. And it said, yes. dun, 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 yeah. the more you know. Yeah. Yeah. See, look, we can both do this. Right. And like, why they stopped doing that? It was brilliant. But you can't expect people to, to – how do you eat the elephant? One bite at a time. But sometimes we just drop a bunch of evidence or information or an employee handbook when someone signs on to work for a new organization. And we go, eat the elephant and then start work on Monday. And, Becky, we know there's research. People don't. Do this yeah this is great this is great let me know if 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 you know the neuro academy one i would love to sit in on that task force that'd be a fun thing to volunteer for i like it if you ever want to turn it into a podcast i know a guy all right you ready to do three questions sure let's do three questions
All right, three questions on the show. It's Becky Bliss brought to you by Physical Therapy and Balance Centers. Uh, on average, a private practice that joins their network grows more than 40%. So if you're ready to discover the largest network of PT private practice owners are growing and adapting to industry changes, find them on physicalfranchise.com. They spell it funny, F-Y-Z-I-C-A-L franchise.com. All right. Uh, first question on three questions. Who is someone the audience should know more about? You name dropped a few of those people. You And you you can name a couple of them. Who, who are the people that if they're like, hey, in this area, who would those people be and how and where could they find? Um, so I think that she is. So she's in Australia, um, Julia Trevelin. So she, you can find her on Twitter. Um, she's fantastic. She just spoke at our international conference of vestibular rehab and the role of the next link, like cervical spine. She says cervical, which is, I mean, it's just cooler. It sounds better. It sounds better. Right? Um, but her work, what she is doing out of Australia is phenomenal. They're looking at so much that I think we need to translate that, right? Like simple tests. How do we rule in versus rule out? We don't need to diagnose. And that was her big thing. We don't need to diagnose cervicogenic dizziness. We need to just say, is the neck contributing or is it not? And she has got a series um, of tests that yes, you know, rule in, rule out and you address it. You work on it, right? Like you need to move your neck before you know where it is in space, cervical joint proprioception. You have to have that ability. Are you moving it correctly? Neuromotor control. Anyway, I can go on forever about that one because it's the tie, it's the link between the eyes, the ears, and the neck. And most clinicians potentially may not be putting all those pieces together. Got it. You bring up cervical. I learned uh, anatomy and ortho from uh, an Irish professor. And he was like, his thing was, um, 50% of the population has a cervix. It's not a cervical spine. It's a cervical spine. The cervix is a different body part. That's, we're going to learn that body part, but in a different lesson. And I was like, I never thought of that, uh, Jason Craig. Um, second question is, where would you send someone? If someone was like, hey, I want to take a single bite out of learning some of the stuff that Becky was talking about. Is there a book? Is there a downloadable PDF is there where would you send someone that you're like hey student on day one like Jimmy super eager but doesn't know where he wants to send his energy you'd give him something that's going to on ramp them you know not too not too advanced but they're it's going to be interesting enough what would you send them so through our task force so I'm kind of plugging this but we have on the Academy of Neurophysical Therapy we have concussion task force page and within it it takes each one of these trajectories cervical here is the decision-making tree for cervical exam, cervical intervention. So it's little snippets of clinician resources in this yeah. clinician toolbox that you can click on. There is even quick links of outcome measures that you would commonly use and how to administer them. So that, yeah. So almost as, you don't almost have to go Google it. searching to the, you know, Shirley Ryan ability lab and like figure, you know, yeah. it is, you can, it's a one, I say one-stop shopping, right? One-stop shopping. And it's linked to, we've got, you know, the next CPG for the ortho side. So it's bridging everybody together, which I think is a big thing too, because concussion just isn't one. Not right. And so yeah. that's the cool thing is you can go to the implementation resources and get them all one-stop shopping and yeah. only take as much as you're ready to hear. Got it. It sounds as if, and then when I work for big or small organizations and they say, help us communicate better. I say, great. Who are we communicating to? And they say, this audience. And then I say, what are the things that frustrate them, that stop them? What are their barriers, their hopes, their dreams? I call them goods and bads. And it sounds as if 
with that resource, you said, well, one of the bads or frustrations is there's so much information and it's scattered. You said 73 page CPG. Right. No and your response is, how do I reduce scattered and too much information? You make it centralized and you make it digestible. And then, and I, and I, and I just, and then I just turn to them and I go, you have to pay me for that. And they're like, what? And I'm like, it was easy. I, I tell people all the time. I'm like, I'm about, I'm about to do a trick. I'm going to do a trick right in front of you. And then you're going to be like, that was it. And I go, yes. Sometimes simplifying is actually the trick. Last question on three questions. Why should someone care about your niche? That's what I'm asking everybody for, um, for a niche member. Um, because it is in existence a lot more than people think everyone, you know, think about your whiplash, think about our patients, geriatric fall, right. Or our older adults who fall and often get missed. These people are out there suffering with these continued symptoms on a quality of life. So a lot of the research is where sport related concussions. So it sounds super cool. Um, you know, Ooh, I want to, you know, get into the sports side. There's so many other individuals out there who are thinking about our blast injuries that are going to, you know, they might be really good now because they've had the rehab, but as we age, all these systems, right. Degrade, and they're going to need continued care or tune-ups as we call them, pediatrics, geriatrics, car accidents. It's so out there and it's in your clinic. And if you can get involved in this niche, even just a little bit to understand, you're going to treat and educate your patients so much better and have a huge impact on that quality of life and the cost. Cause we all know how much does mild TBI way exceeds the cost, right? Nationally worldwide that are moderate to severe. It is astounding because these patients get in a hamster wheel and they go provider hopping because nobody's helping because nobody's listening. Yeah. And I would say if, if confidence and a lack of uh, perceived competence is your barrier, Becky just proved that they have a way to reduce, to eliminate those, to flip those around. All right. Last thing we do on the show is the parting shot. Parting shot brought to you by our friends, the Academy of Orthopedic Physical Therapy. Find them online at orthopt.org. They have some CPGs. They have some ISCs. They have other acronyms because we love acronyms in, in physical therapy. Uh, current concepts of orthopedic physical therapy is that that thing they recognize, and this is how I say it, if you want to arrive at the OCS exam at the starting line, confident and competent, that's a great roadmap. No matter where you start. They can get you there, and it's in its fifth edition right now. Find it at orthopt.org. So, Becky, you've done this before, maybe more than any, anybody ever. I don't know. Parting shot. The floor is yours. What do you want to wrap up with? I think I want to wrap up in the world of concussion management. Um, you know, some people will shy away. They want to get interested, and then it's complex. Like, identify your gaps. Where do you feel not confident? And then fill those in through mentorship. Don't be afraid to reach out and have a conversation. Um, you can email me, you can tweet me, DM me. I don't even know all the right terms because I'm getting old. Um, but absolutely, I think that's the biggest thing is if you can surround yourself with like-minded people who can want to continue to learn, like the sky's the limit. So that's my Well, you mentioned, mentioned learn, and I'd be a bad podcast host. If people wanted to learn because you have, you started a continuing education organization, we're going to include it in the show notes anyway, but Tell us about that in 15 seconds. What do people get to learn? What do they become when they take a Con Ed course with Becky Bliss? Yeah, we've got a couple out there that we offer, but we also develop individualized ones. So we're tailoring one right now specific to getting neurooptometry, 
um, a functional vision OT and myself and the link between how do we diagnose some of these under like recognized neurooptometric deficits in post-concussive and who to refer from a you know OT standpoint, but then the vestibular, cervical, postural control link. And so it's all of us coming together to share our knowledge. So that's a new one coming out that I think will be fantastic. So we're in design now. Contact information as always in the show notes. Becky, bless pleasure having you back again on the show. Thank you. It's good to catch up. Thank you. They said the best conversations happen at happy hour or over espressos. Uh, thanks for coming ours. Like what you hear? Tell a friend or leave a review on iTunes or Google Play. The show today is brought to you by the Brooks Institute of Higher Learning, an innovator in providing advanced post-professional education. The Brooks IHL offers seven on-site PT residencies, including orthopedics, women's health, geriatrics, pediatrics, sports, and neurology, as well as a neurologic OT fellowship, a competitive OMPT fellowship, and a speech therapy clinical fellowship. Therapists that complete a residency or fellowship through the Brooks IHL will markedly advance their knowledge and skills in a specialty area of practice. Learn more about how a residency or fellowship can help you advance your professional development at brooksihl.org. Our home on the internet. PTPinecast.com. Created by Build PT. Build PT provides marketing services specifically for private practice PTs. From website development and hosting. To providing content marketing solutions for PT clinics across the country. See what Build PT can do for you today at BuildPT.com. The PT Pinecast is a product of PT Pinecast LLC. It is hosted and produced by PT Pinecast CEO Jim McKay and CBO Sky Donovan from Marymount University. We talk PT, drink beer, and record it. This has been another pour from the PT Pinecast. The PT Pinecast is intended for educational purposes only. No clinical decision-making should be based solely on one source. While care is taken to ensure accuracy, factual errors can be present. More on the show at ptpinecast.com.